I want to welcome those of you who are listening to us on our app or on our podcast, and I want to welcome those of you who are new to City Church. We're so glad to have you guys. We're in the middle of a series that is called Three and a Half Years in the Life, and the life, of course, that we're talking about there is the life of Jesus. And uh, what we're doing is we're just picking up the first half of the Gospel of Mark. We're going we're gonna to do the last half of the Gospel of Mark later on, but we've been looking just at the first half of the Gospel of Mark. And if you have a Bible of some kind with you this morning, turn with me in it to Mark chapter 4. And uh, I'll meet you there in just a few minutes, Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll put the verses up on the screen for you so that you can follow along uh, as we go. Again, Mark chapter 4. Edgar Allan Poe, he once wrote this. He said, that the, he said that beauty of whatever kind in its supreme development invariably excites the sensitive soul to tears. Invariably excites the sensitive soul to tears. Have you ever experienced that? Like have, you ever, have you ever seen something? Maybe, maybe it was like a gorgeous scene in nature. Or maybe it was a piece of music, or, or maybe it was a piece of literature, something that you read. Uh, I've even been told by some that, that there's a beauty in mathematics, though my eyes were never able to detect that beauty. I've been told by some that there is a beauty there. Uh, maybe it was something like that. Um, have you ever had that experience where something that you saw or heard was so beautiful that it just it moved you to tears? What Poe is getting at is that when we encounter stunning beauty, in whatever form we encounter that beauty, there's not only the enjoyment of the beauty itself, but there's also the recognition that the beauty judges everything else around it, including you. Like in it, in that beauty, you become aware of your own imperfections, and it it makes you want to change. And this, of course, is the motivational structure of the gospel. In in Jesus, we see the demonstration of a life that is so beautiful. And in his death, a love that is so staggeringly selfless that we're judged by it. And yet, at the same time, we desperately want to change to be more like him. It's not, it's not like a tiresome obligation. It's not like a duty. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a heavy burden on our shoulders. It's not about shame and guilt and anything like that. Instead, it's, it's, it's aspirational. It's like, I, I want that. I, I want to change. I want my life to be that beautiful too. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus says that he can change you into a person uh, of, of just stunning and inspiring beauty if you understand one very powerful secret about the gospel. And listen, I, I want to tell you this. If you understand this one powerful secret, you can throw away all your self-help books and, and you will never have to visit the self-help section of a bookstore again if you just understand this one powerful secret about the gospel. And I'm going to say something. I, I, look, if I had not started my career... Uh, in, in sales, I probably would just blurt that one powerful secret out right now. But because I did start my career in sales, uh, I know better. See, I have you on the hook right now. And like you, you, you want to know, you're interested, you want to know what that one powerful secret is to stunning beauty. And so here's the way I've done this. You have to listen to the rest of my talk to learn this one powerful secret, okay? Does that sound all right to you? you are you willing to hang in with me through this? Okay, good, good. Um, they don't give churches to just anybody, you see. You've got to have that kind of 
smart. Let's start reading. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. We'll put the verses up on the screen. Let's start reading there. Again, uh, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Remember, we said parables last week. We said they're just like spiritual metaphors, okay? So he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, verse 3, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm going to keep reading in just a moment. But before I do, I just, just a quick observation and then an admonition of sorts. Did you notice that the crowd around Jesus is huge. The text tells us that. It was so large that Jesus had to go out on a boat. All the people stood on the edge of the beach, but he had to go out on a boat for them to be able to, to hear him and to see him. Mark keeps pointing this out. You guys, if, if you've been with us, you've noticed through chapters 1 through 4 that Mark just keeps pointing out how large the crowds are that are following Jesus. Do you know why? Do you know why he keeps pointing this out? Here's why. He wants us to pay attention to how the crowds begin to thin the closer that Jesus gets to the cross. To the point that on the night before he is crucified, um, all will have left him. And he will be absolutely alone. That's why he points this out. Now, the admonition that I want to give you, for those of you, especially for those of you who have some kind of church background, if you have some kind of church background, maybe you grew up in a church or maybe you spent a long time in church before you came to City Church. You, you were in another church somewhere. You have undoubtedly heard this passage preached before, right? And you're getting ready right now in this moment, you're getting ready to mentally check out because you're pretty sure that you know where I'm going in this passage, right? Right? Like you're wondering how Jordan Spieth right now is faring in the British Open or maybe you're, you know, you're thinking about your to-do list or you're thinking about you know, your kids or something like that. Okay? Here's the thing. You think I'm going to preach about the different kinds of soil in this passage. I told you. I told, they don't give churches to anybody. I know that's what you thought that I was going to do. Here's the thing, though. I am not going to preach that way about this passage. Okay? Don't, here's the admonition, do not check out on this and assume that you know what this passage is saying because if you do, you're going to miss out on something potentially life-changing. Because as I said, here's the thing, I'm not going to preach uh, on this passage the way that you think I'm going to preach because I don't think the soil is the main focus of this passage. Now, why do I say that? Here's why. Let's, I, want, I want to read on. And just a few verses down, Jesus is going to interpret this parable for us, okay? But first, before we get to that part, let's just keep reading here, verse 10, verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah here, he says, that they may ever be seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn 
and be forgiven. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into all of that, but what Jesus, essentially what he's saying is that he teaches in parables because they act as a filter. There's like this huge crowd around him, but Jesus knows what seasoned celebrities uh, have had to learn the hard way, and that is that there are a lot of people who love you when everything is rolling, right? But when things stop rolling, suddenly those people have a way of disappearing. And Jesus knows that most of these people don't want him. They want his miracles. Like they don't even want his message. They're just waiting for the miracle part of the service to begin. And so the parables, you see, act like, they act like filters. The people who are really interested in what Jesus has to say, they're going to come to him. They're going to inquire about what he meant. That's, that's all he's saying, okay? But let's move on. I don't have time to stay on that. Let's move on. And again, why do I think the emphasis in this passage is not the soil? Okay, watch, uh, I want you to watch which metaphor Jesus chooses as the key to interpret this parable, okay? Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he gives them the key, verse 14. The farmer sows uh, the word, okay? And there it is. That's why I don't think it's primarily about soil because Jesus starts his explanation of this parable with the seed as the primary metaphor. Have you ever noticed that before? Those of you who've been in church, those of you who've read this before, have you ever noticed that Jesus starts this parable with the interpretation of it being, uh, he, he gives us the key being the seed, not the soil. He compares, what he's doing, he's comparing the gospel word uh, to a seed. And see, since that's how he starts it, since that's how he thinks we should interpret it, uh, I think it's important for us to make sure that we understand this comparison as well. So let's read on uh, and uh, finish his interpretation of the parable, and then I want to make a few uh, observations. Verse 15, some people, he says, are like seed along the path where the gospel word, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes away the word that was sown in them. Other words, like seed, uh, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, verse 17. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then he said, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke it, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Okay, so here's the promise that I made to you, like, at the very beginning. If you understand this one powerful secret uh, about the gospel, Jesus can change you into a person of stunning beauty, and you'll be able to throw away all of your self-help books and never have to run to the self-help section of the bookstore again. What's the secret? Here it is. Here it is. Here's the secret. The secret is that the gospel is like a seed. That's the secret. The secret is that the gospel is like a seed. Jesus compares the gospel uh, to a seed. Now, the question is why? Why does he make that comparison? Why, of all things, does he compare the gospel to a seed, something so tiny, so small, so, like, not threatening? Why does he compare it to that? This week and next week, I'm going to explain this, okay? Now, like, I don't know what you have going on next week. Like, maybe, maybe you're going on vacation and you don't plan on being here. Cancel your vacation. Uh, maybe you have to work next week. Quit your job. Maybe you're getting married next weekend. Postpone your wedding. 
Now, uh, of course, I'm, I'm saying those things tongue-in-cheek, kind of, kind of, tongue-in-cheek. Um, what we're going to talk about this week and next, I'm not hesitant at all to say that the reality is that if you will get this, if you, if you will get this, if you will understand it, if you hear it and understand it, 25 years from now, like that vacation uh, won't have mattered. And you'll probably be working, 25 years now, you'll probably be working in another job anyway, or maybe you'll be retired. And you won't, and like you won't, 25 years from now, you won't care if you got married next weekend or the weekend after that. I promise you that. But this, this, what you learn and what you begin to understand today and next week, uh, 25 years from now, will still be changing your life for the better. It will. Like the guilt that you, all of the guilt that you live with, uh, all of the shame that you live with, uh, all of the fear that you live with, the anxiety, all of the self-destructive tendencies that you have, they can all be dealt with by understanding what Jesus is teaching in this passage about the gospel as a seed. So you think about how important that vacation is, or you think about how important that job is, or that wedding, and you make your decision accordingly, okay? Um, you guys know I'm kidding about that, right? I kind of, you know I'm kidding, right? I'm not kidding about the importance of the passage, but I am kidding about the subtle or not-so-subtle guilt that I'm slinging there about your priorities. Because we don't sling guilt here at the church. That's not what the gospel's about. You can always catch this sermon on the app. If you have to miss next week, you can always catch it on the app. And after all, what would be more special on your wedding night than listening to me on the app <laughs> preaching? I mean, seriously, that would be great, right? Uh, you know, you and your spouse just listening to me. Okay, let's understand why Jesus compares the gospel uh, to a seed. I think he does this for at least three reasons, and we're only going to get to one today. Here's the first reason that he compares the gospel to this tiny seed. Write this down. Like a seed, the gospel has the power of life in it, okay? Like a seed, the gospel has the power of life in it. See, you have to understand that the gospel is it's, it's more than just information. Like if you were to dig a hole and you were to put a computer uh, you know, full of information into the ground, okay? Like if you were to put it, just, you know, just dig a hole, put that computer in the ground. Or if you were to uh, put a quantum physics textbook uh, in the ground, you can water and you can fertilize them all you want, but nothing's going to happen, right? Because they're just full of information. That's all they are. But when you put a seed in the ground, it releases its power, it releases its life into the ground. And you see, in this comparison to a seed, Jesus is saying that when the gospel enters your soul, it's more than just mental information that comes to you, okay? Uh, it's like, it's, like it's, it's life that comes to you. The very life of God is released into you. Now look, if, if the life of God is released into you through the gospel, uh, does that mean that people who haven't responded to the gospel who haven't believed in the gospel, does that mean that they're dead? Well, clearly, if they're, if they're alive and conscious, they're not, they're not physically dead, right? Uh, but there is a sense, the Bible says, there is a sense in which they are dead. Um, anybody, remember, anybody remember your Shakespeare uh, from high school or college? Anybody remember your Shakespeare? 
I'm going to quote a little Shakespeare here to you, but don't be impressed. It's just because last summer I started, uh, downloaded all of Shakespeare on my iTunes, uh, or uh, excuse me, on my iBooks app, and I just started reading it again just to kind of refresh my memory of, of it. By the way, you can, you can download all of those for free on your iBooks app, all of the works of Shakespeare, if you ever wanted to do that. Anyway, okay, it's just fresh on my mind. All I'm saying is don't be impressed. You got that? You were like, I wasn't impressed anyway, so you didn't even have to say that, Jeff. But um, here, here we go. There's a great line in Hamlet where Hamlet says, he says, he's speaking to Horatio, and he says, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, do you know how to finish the line? Than are dreamt, with, uh, dreamt of in your philosophy. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. What the Bible is saying about the gospel is, is like it's very similar. When the seed of the gospel is planted in your soul, it awakens and it enlivens your soul to a reality that you didn't know existed before. Okay? There's more to reality than people without the gospel are aware of. Things like the reality of God, the holiness of God, the Father's love for you, uh, heaven and hell, the hope of future resurrection, things like that. Those are all realities that people who don't have the gospel are not aware of. Before you get this life of the gospel in you, either you don't believe in those things at all and they're just nonsense to you, kind of, uh, kind of like somebody telling you uh, about the Loch Ness, Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or UFOs or something like that. So you might not have believed in them at all. Or you may have believed in them, but you only believed in them as theoretical abstractions. Okay? So like they're not real in any personal way to you. Uh, to you okay? And I meet a lot of people like this. Maybe you do too. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but when surveys are done of people in America about whether they're Christians and what religion they, they subscribe to, a majority of Americans, uh, they claim to be Christians. They do. But when troubles come, like when troubles come, like real, you know, real trouble. Is the wisdom of God, is the power of God, is the goodness of God, are those things such a reality that you can actually fortify yourself against the trouble? Or do you just freak out, right? See, see if the gospel's in you, those those things about God are so real that you can fortify yourself against those troubles. But for some people, yeah, I kind of believe, but they're theoretical abstractions. They don't really make a difference to my life in any way, shape, or form. And there are many people that believe in a theoretical way about God, but nothing about their life appears to be changed by their belief. But when the power of the gospel comes into your life, when this life, when it, when it comes into you, you're initiated into like a whole new order of life, a whole new order of reality. And what happens is that these things about God, these truths about God, they become real, they become solid, they become vivid, they become controlling, they become affecting. And they're like, they're like melt in your mouth, sweet realities to you. And so when trouble comes, 
or if you fail badly, or, or if someone criticizes you, or if you say or do something that runs co- counter to popular culture, you can handle the criticism that comes because the gospel of life is in you, and you know that there's a reality beyond what other people can see. Okay? So if the seed, if the gospel comes in, not just as information, but if it comes in as power, and it begins to release its power in you and initiates in, in you, uh, it initiates you into this new reality of life, you can tell. And here's how you can tell. You will change. Uh, you, you will change. You'll begin to change in very real and very tangible ways. But, hey, can I ask you guys a question? Are you guys with me or are you guys just like, because it feels like low energy in the room today. Do we need to do something? Do we need to all stand up? In fact, why don't you do that? Everybody stand up. Stand up. And, and why don't you just look to the person next to you and say, wake up, dude. How about that? Would you do that? Just look at him. Say, wake up, dude. Or dudette. If it's a woman, say dudette. I mean, I, you know, whatever. Okay, now you can be seated. All right. Wake up, dude, or dudette. You feel better now? Yeah? Okay. You ready for the last part of this? Because we're moving to a close. I promise you we're moving to a close. All right. When we talk, I said, I said that when the gospel of life comes into you, you change in very real, very tangible ways. But when we talk about change, we've got to be very careful to distinguish between two different kinds of change. And I'm going to put them up here on the screen for you. One kind of change that, uh, that can be produced in people is organic change. But then there's another kind of change that religion tends to produce in people. And that kind of change is mechanical change. And what do I mean by mechanical change? We'll start with that and then we'll go to organic change in just a minute. Mechanical change. Over and over again throughout the gospel, you see Jesus in conflict with religion. Do you know what religion is? I'm going to just put this up on you. Very simply, I'm going to put it up on the screens for you in a, in a very simple equation. How about that? I told you I'm not big on mathematics, but here we go. A very simple equation. Here's what religion is. Religion goes like this. Believe plus obey equals you are saved. That's religion. You got to believe, but then you've got to obey. And then you're saved. And you see, in that equation, obedience is a condition for salvation. And so obedience is motivated by fear. There's lots of fear in religion. There's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame in religion. There's a lot of insecurity in religion. Have I done enough? Have I obeyed enough? Have I obeyed enough to be saved? Or maybe I haven't obeyed enough. Maybe I, maybe I screwed up and, and, and maybe I'm not saved. I don't know. Have I obeyed enough? That's why there's so much insecurity. But I don't want you to be foolish enough to believe that religion can't change people uh, because, because it, very much, uh, it very much can. But the change is only mechanical. And what do I mean by mechanical change? Here's what I mean. Imagine for a moment that there's a pile of bricks uh, here in front of me. Here's my question. Can we grow that pile of bricks? Yes, we can grow that pile of bricks. You know how we grow that pile of bricks? We just pile more bricks on it. We just keep throwing bricks on it. It'll grow. I mean, right? It'll, get, it'll grow. It'll get bigger and bigger. The pile will get bigger if we just keep throwing bricks on it. Okay? Grow. It'll grow. Sure. But that's mechanical growth, not organic growth. It's external 
growth. In religion, you have many external things that you have to do. You have many external things that you have to learn, and many classes to go to, and busyness, and activities, and performances, and observances, and all sorts of things that you have to do. It grows people, but it's mechanical external growth. The gospel is very, very different. In fact, it's altogether different. Religion is believe plus obey equals you are saved, okay? Now, the gospel is different because it changes people through organic change, organic change. It's, it's organic the way the gospel changes you. And here's what I mean. Here's the gospel. I'll put that in an equation for you. Remember, remember what religion was? It was believe plus obey equals you are saved. Here's the gospel. Believe equals you are saved. Believe in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for the sins of humanity, equals you are saved. That's it. Now, out of that, as a result of that, I obey. That's, that's, that's very different. Obedience, you see, isn't a condition for salvation or for blessing by God. Obedience is a result of salvation. Now that I've been opened up to this whole new reality, now that I've seen the stunning beauty of this life, I want that beauty. I See, like, I want that. I want that in me. I, I want to be like Him, right? So that, that's... Obedience is a result of being opened up to this whole new reality. It's more like a, uh, the gospel's more like a bulb that is, that is planted in the ground and it grows into like a tulip. It's, it's organic. It's from, the, it's from the inside out, right? It doesn't, it's not from the outside in. It's not pile, 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 more stuff on me. It's, it's like the gospel goes inside my life and over time it begins to change me from the inside out. So like it, it you know, it creates an organism that's becoming more and more complex and richer and beautiful. Now, why does it matter? Whether it's mechanical or organic change. Well, let me, let, me just, let me explain it this way. Here's how you know whether the change that you experience is organic or mechanical. Here's how you know. In mechanical, external, religious change, you get busier. Like you feel weighted down by all of the obligations. Like you feel like you're in a contest with everyone around you and everyone else is getting ahead of you. You're competitive in religion. You have to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or whoever the, you know, they are. You, you don't really feel any different on the inside. It's just that you put on a mask, a face for everyone. You're very superficial in religion. You don't dare look inside at your life because you might find things there that are embarrassing to you or things that would make you feel guilty. You feel ashamed in religion when you don't measure up to the standard. You live with shame, right? You live with anxiety over whether you've obeyed enough. Uh, you look down on your nose at other people who don't do all the things that you're doing. In fact, maybe you even resent them for not doing all the things that you feel that you have to do. That's mechanical change. But here's organic change, the kind of change that comes with the gospel. With organic internal change, you, over time, it doesn't happen instantly, and we'll see that next week, but over time, 
you get wiser and richer. Uh, not, not financially, but you get richer as a person and you get, you get deeper as a person. As the gospel takes root in your soul, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. You find on the one hand, uh, you find yourself getting stronger and tougher, and yet at the same time, considerably more sensitive to the people that are around you. You get more confident and you get more bold, but at the same time, you become more humble and less focused on yourself. You become more generous. You become more able to love people who are different than you, uh, who in the past you couldn't stand, who you would have never wanted to be around. You become more forgiving with organic gospel change. Uh, You become more authentic with people because you know that because of what Christ did for you, that God knows all of your internal stuff and he accepts you with all of that and he loves you with all of that stuff. And so admitting it, you become more authentic because you you recognize that admitting it and talking about it, it doesn't make you feel more insecure and shameful. Those are the kinds of things, if those kinds of things are happening to you, that's organic growth. And that's a sign of the power of the gospel of God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I haven't seen that. I, I haven't experienced this. And you're probably thinking to yourself, I haven't seen this in churches. Uh, I've seen more of the mechanical growth in churches, not the organic growth. And the reason for that, folks, is that there are many places. Many places do teach the gospel uh, rightly, and I we're certainly not the only ones. We're not forming a cult here. There are many churches that preach the gospel well. But there are also many churches that don't. And what they teach is religion. Believe plus obey. And then you're saved. And all that does is it heaps guilt and shame and fear and anxiety upon people's souls. That's what it does. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I said at the very beginning that the motivational structure of the gospel is that when you see the beauty of Christ's life and the staggering selflessness of his death on the cross for your sins and for my sins, you you find yourself moved to want that kind of life. It's not an obligation. It's aspirational. You want that beauty in your life. That's the kind of organic growth that the gospel provokes in a person's life. And I would ask you, has the gospel started working with you in your life as a power instead of just information? And if it hasn't, it, it, it begins, as our banners around the room indicate, the very first word is, is just, it, it just begins with believing. It, Notice that that banner does not say believe and obey. It doesn't say believe and be baptized. It doesn't say believe and take communion. Just believe that the Lord Jesus Christ came to rescue you from your sins. And when you believe, the life of the gospel is planted in your soul. Now, I just, let me just give you a personal illustration um, of how what I mean by, by aspirational change, and then, then we'll close, okay? By, by, by seeing beauty and being so moved by it that it makes you want to change. When I first met my wife, 
I, I, I was standing in a room much like this, but I was talking to a bunch of children. Um, and back in the back of the room, this young woman walked in who was the daughter of one of my volunteers. And I saw this young woman back in the back of the room, and I was just like awestruck, almost to the point of tears. Like, I was like, man, she is, at the time I would have probably said, hot. But now I would say, I would say, and I would still say hot, to be honest with you, but I would also say beautiful, gorgeous, like moved to the point of tears. And over time, I kind of had a little chance to talk with her and stuff, and, I, and I, I wanted to ask her out, but I was scared to death. And I was scared to death because I thought, you know, I don't come from the kind of family that she comes from. And uh, her family was, you know, they were a really neat family. And my family was just really, they might be listening to this, so I just, you, you understand. Her family was different than my family, <laughs> okay? Um, and um, I was scared to ask her out because I was like, I don't, I don't know if she'll want to go. Agree, she, miracle of miracles. This woman agreed to go out with me on a date. I first asked her parents' permission, and then and she agreed uh, to go out on a date with me. And here's the thing. As I got to know her, um, I wanted to be a better man because of her. Like, like I, wanted to, I wanted to be more like her. I, I wanted to be the kind of man that, that she would want to marry, that would bring her pleasure. That's what I mean by aspirational change. Like you see, this is what it is with Jesus. You see that kind of beauty, and you're like, I want that in my life. I want to change. I want to be that kind of person. If the gospel is producing organic change in you, you're going to grow. You are growing. You're seeing change happen in your life. If it's not, maybe all it has, maybe, maybe all it's doing, maybe all, it's only come to you just as information. I want you to see that the gospel is like a seed in that it has life. It has the power of life in it. Now, next week, we're going to look at two more reasons that Jesus compared the gospel to a seed. And I promise, if you'll cancel that vacation, if you'll postpone that wedding and quit your job, you will experience real change in your life. Would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Our Lord Jesus Christ, we do consider your life, and we are moved by it not in a sense that we are moved by guilt and shame and all that stuff, but we are moved by the beauty of your life and the staggering selflessness of it. Lord, I pray that this week that, we, that everyone here would consider that, that beauty, and would want that beauty in their lives. Lord, for those that are here this morning that maybe have never heard this before, maybe they've never heard the gospel in this way, maybe they've Maybe it's only been information or maybe it's just been a theoretical abstraction to them. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would move them to want the gospel in their lives. Uh, They would want the power of life that enters their soul through it and that they would believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ. For those that have never heard the gospel before, Lord, I pray that maybe today that 
you would be moving in them and that you would move them to a point that they would believe in what you did for them on the cross. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Change us. Let us be transformed organically through the power of the gospel. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.